name is Jim Murphy, won't you buy me whiskey? For I've a sad story to tell About a young man who delivered his companions Straight to those fiery gates of hell Just to save himself from a prison cell Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Jim Murphy's the name of that one there. From our good friend Mark David Manders kicking things out for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. I also want to thank our presenting sponsors, of course, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Hope everyone is having a great day. It's, man, it is one of the best times to be alive in the great outdoors. Spring Turkey opens up next weekend in the South Zone. That's right. I think it is actually, well, it's damn sure one of the first turkey seasons to open up uh, in the country. So that will be going on down in South Texas uh, next weekend. I'll be down there. I imagine many of y'all will be as well. I've been hammering away in my truck on my diaphragm calls. I've got the slate call right here in the recording studio. And, uh, <laughs> ooh. It gives me chills every time I hear that first Tom sound off leaving the roost. I can't wait. And I know folks tuning in from around the country, uh, y'all seasons will be opening up here subsequently in April and May as well. It's going to be a great, great spring. We've also got the sand bass run kicking off. Crappie won't be too far behind. Largemouth are already on their beds. Get out there and wet a line. We're going to do some of that today as well. So here's what's on the docket for this week's presentation. We'll kick things off by talking spring sand bass with longtime guide Carrie Thorne. Uh, specifically, we're going to take the fly rods out and get after those spawning sandies. They're running up the creeks. Carrie will tell us where to find them, what patterns to throw at them, how fast you should be stripping that line in, uh, a couple casts that you'll want to have in your repertoire as far as uh, those narrow creeks and streams that the sandies love to get up in. And, and he'll give us some gear tips as well. So cool fly fishing stuff coming at you here momentarily. Then uh, Dude Perfect's Tyler Tony. Y'all know Dude Perfect. If you've never seen one of their trick shots on YouTube or one of their stereotype video compilations on uh, fishing and hunting, uh, also they, they hold more Guinness Book of World Records than you can imagine. I mean, these guys, they're truly living the life. And here in their late 20s, they're still acting like junior high school kids. And that is freaking awesome. You know, you say you never want to grow up. They never did. Anyway, Tyler Tony uh, will be here. Actually, I went over to Dude Perfect headquarters and uh, took in the entire operation. It <laughs> it was impressive. I'll tell you that. We'll, we'll get into that more uh, coming up here with Tyler. We'll talk some elk hunting, some bass fishing, and some archery as well uh, with Tyler and some of the guys from Dude Perfect. So uh, you don't want to miss that. And then we'll wrap up today's show by talking spring turkeys with Texas Parks and Wildlife Turkey Program Leader Jason Harden. Not only will we take a look back at the historical restocking efforts of Texas Parks and Wildlife and how we're seeing that play out on the landscape today with both eastern and Rio Grande turkeys, uh, then Jason will give us his prediction for peak breeding activity, which should translate into great hunting for both the south and the north zones, uh, as well as some turkey tips. Say you've got that gobbler hung up 
at 80 to 100 yards. He won't commit. He's right there on the cusp. Uh, Jason, a longtime turkey hunter as well as turkey biologist, will tell us what he would do in that situation. And then I think we'll also get into a day in the life for the average turkey. What are they doing? What the hell does a turkey do all day? Uh, well, if you understand the turkey, you might be able to more effectively hunt that old strutter. So that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I'm certainly excited about it. A couple other things to mention. And this, man, I am so excited about this. Guns and Guitars number three has been confirmed for June 2nd through the 4th. Uh, coming back this summer, we've got Mark David Manders and his running buddy, Max Stalling. That's right. Uh, the good old boys from last summer will be back for this epic weekend of Texas country music and trophy exotic hunting. So if you're interested in uh, bagging a trophy axis buck or having the opportunity to take a beautiful black buck, I think there's even some Audad on the ranch right now, uh, come on out that weekend. We've got spots for five hunters. That's it. When the spots are gone, they're gone. The cost is, I think it's thirty-two fifty. That includes the trophy of your choice, all-inclusive weekend of music and hanging out with Max and Mark. There's even a Pila pool. That's right. We've got a pool out there at the ranch. Uh, we'll, we'll sit around, pick some guitars, yuck it up, do some hunting, drink some Lone Star beer at the end of the day, and just have a hoot and toot and hell of a good time with Max and Mark. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, shoot me an email at LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com and we can uh, get your spot locked and loaded for June 2nd through the 4th at Coons Canyon Ranch. That's right, always at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break here. No, we didn't do a giveaway. I've got a Costa sunglasses cap and t-shirt. That's right, Costa sunglasses cap and t-shirt. We'll give away to the third person to text in the word fly rod. That's fly rod, because that's what we're going to get into next. Text in the word fly rod to 214-289-7807. You could win the Costa sunglasses prize pack. Uh, Y'all don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with roll casts, clouser minnows, and some spring sandy fishing. Kerry Thorne will grab his fly rod and join us next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. There's a storm in my rear view and a city on my nerve. He's a mind in the straightaway and there's comfort in the curve. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters. And whether you want a bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision under the cover of darkness three curl has you covered they've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology they hunt unlimited i mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you uh, they can do that as well check it out threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt i'm craig boddington I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. 
Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Hi, this is Nolan Ryan. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Living on Lone Star Time, wondering where I've been. Should I make up my mind and go down that road? Will I ever come home again? I ain't got enough money, got too much time. There's a little Dub Miller living on Lone Star Time, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Powered by Dallas Safari Club, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith, and uh, yeah, certainly do want to thank Lone Star Beer because uh, for y'all's sake, man, they sent me literally 200 Lone Star Beer branded camo caps. I'm not joking. So uh, let's give one away right now to uh, the third person to text in the word sandbass. That's sandbass. To 214-289-7807. And we'll send you a Lone Star Beer camo cap. Because we're actually about to talk some sand bass here. Uh, But first, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Beer. What do you know? Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. If you haven't seen the new Come and Take It Texas can, grab a 12-pack for you and your buddy on the way to the turkey lease this season. And remember, celebrate responsibly with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. All right. Uh, let's bring on our first guest today. He is a longtime personal friend of the show. When it comes to sand bass and crappie, uh, I mean, that's what he does. And I actually met Carrie Thorne. My dad and I were walking the banks of a creek on Lake Louisville years ago trying to catch crappie. And he was piddling through there in his boat and, and stopped and said, hey, you guys, you know, hook your minnows this way and you'll catch more fish. I'll be damned. He was right. And he didn't have to stop and tell us that. He just did it because that's the kind of guy he is. He wants people to know how to catch more fish. And he takes pride in that. He's not one of these secretive guys who's all uptight about where he's fishing or how he's catching them. Uh, and anyway, Carrie Thorne and I have been longtime friends. And uh, and a couple years ago, actually, it's probably about four or five years ago, uh, had one of the most fun and educational trips I've ever been on. And, and you might think that's silly when you know, you talk about sand bass, people think, oh, it's just sand bass. Well, uh, as far as fly fishing for them, I mean, it, it doesn't get any more fun than that. And so joining us now to talk all things sand bass, especially breaking out the five weight and getting after them with the long rod, it is my pleasure to welcome Carrie Thorne back to the show. Oh, thanks, Cable. You bet. So first of all, man, how in the heck are you? I know, uh, I guess it's been probably four years since we fished together but uh i think life's changed a lot for both of us i've got three kids and i understand you've got two little ones now yeah three months and a little year and a half oh wow fun <laughs> two boys now awesome Finn and lock very cool very cool well they'll be out there on the water with you before you know it there's no doubt about uh, that i'm ready for it yeah my uh four-year-old son he's just starting to really get interested and he likes to go dig up the worms and and we go you know put him on the hook and he's got a little snoopy pole and he's got uh 
mostly bluegill and bass at this point. Man, he loves it. He's got a their attention span's not very long. That's the only downfall. Well, <laughs> uh, you gotta get them on those sandies when they're going good. Man. Yeah, yeah. Attention going every cast kind of days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be too long for that. Yeah. Two weeks. Two weeks after a good warm rain, it should be just crazy on. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about today was, you know, whether you call them sandies, white bass, silver bass, whatever the case, you know, we're almost getting into prime time as they're running. So, Carrie, what is the first sign that you look for each year as a sand bass guide, you know, as far as an indicator that the creeks should be filling up with spawning sandies? Uh, usually it's the temperature around once the main lake hits about 57, uh-huh. they males start moving up in force um we call them the scouts and then about two weeks later the females move in usually after every rain you get a big batch of uh schooling fish that come up there in force like not not by the hundreds by the thousands yeah so flood, i just go down there and check all the hot spots you know well so as far as you know for anyone who is looking to fill up a couple freezer bags full of sand bass fillets? What uh, you, you talked about the hot spots. You don't you don't have to tell us where you're you know obviously taking your clients, but uh, what type of areas or physical characteristics in the creek are you looking for? Saying that's where sand bass are going to be. Well, Google Earth is going to be your best friend. Uh-huh. You always start at the mouth of every river or creek and then follow it all the way up until it disappears into the woods and you just can't see it anymore that's usually where i start and then i'm trying to find a natural barrier or a man-made barrier of some sort that's going to prevent them from going any farther that could be shallow rapids and the creek just levels out it gets too high in altitude and just gets too shallow and they'll start stopping and stopping they're going to stop below the rapids and deep pools um, below little man-made dams and then i start there and work my way back to the lake okay so they're always going to be in the deepest little crevices possible wherever the creek has deep little crevices Uh uh-huh so in the areas that you're targeting during you know spring spawn are you looking for say four feet of water in those deep areas or is it more like eight feet of water my prime is one to two foot is what I'm really looking for, and that's actively spawning fish. You know, they're, the males are up there chasing the females. They're actively spawning, and when they're doing that, they're burning calories. So as soon as they're done spawning, they just start lighting up and just eating. And that should be in about two to three weeks once those females push up. And you'll notice, you'll go out, once you figure this out, you'll go out, you'll catch, you know, 15, 20, 25, you know, maybe 50, 60, and then you'll go out like two days later after a rain, and you'll catch 300. <laughs> and, right. I mean, it's like you experienced some mm. of that much. I mean, you caught over 100 fish probably. Oh, yeah. It was just definitely was, every cast with the fly rod that day. But Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Incredible. Um, okay, so that's kind of the depth. Ideally is one to, like you said, Two feet, and these fish—they'll keep going up, up, up the creek, up the river. I mean, even like getting horizontal on their side just to keep going. Yes, uh, every night, every time it's dark, they're migrating upstream. 
especially when rain comes and it floods, they're all pushing and, and they'll get in an inch of water and get on their side and flip up, up this little rapid. I mean, they'll go 50 yards up a rapid. I've seen them go in that Creek. I took you to, wow. and I mean, right now I'm fishing a school of fish that are 13 miles away from Lake Ray Hubbard. Jeez. And they went up a feeder Creek that right now is only about three inches deep and it might stop running after we stop that rain because it's coming from a, they went up a feeder Creek that's being fed by a little farm pond hmm. and it overflowed and made current and they go. So they'll go wherever there's current and wherever the bait goes, they're definitely going to go. Okay. Let me ask you this, as far as the bite is concerned, when they're in the creeks real thick, is it an all day bite or is it predominantly, you know, morning and evening, or do you adhere to the school of, you know, moon phases and barometric pressure and all that stuff? Um, I tried following the moon phases. It doesn't seem to do anything. I can never predict when they're going to show up in the creek. But if you pay attention to the barometric air pressure, you'll see, as an example, say it's at 30.10 on the altimeter. If it rises to 30.11 and 30.12, that's good. If it rises from 30.0 to 30.13, then it might actually slow down the fishing and might completely halt it. So I like it steady, not moving very much falling as possible steady and that's always a good thing it usually means rain's coming um but other than that man that's just you go when you can and the barometric air pressure is just going to tell you why it's slow now if it's 30.40 or above i probably won't even go fishing if it's 30.30 i would probably definitely bring minnows with you uh-huh okay okay so yeah so most folks you know you can go out with uh minnows and and probably catch your limit probably catch probably catch a fish on every cast when it's good uh some of the other baits obviously spinner baits uh what are some of the other artificials uh that folks you know traditionally catch a lot of sand bass on well we have two options you have conventional spinning tackle which i use four pound line monofilament usually i use berkeley um vanish uh four pound monofilament and then for fly fishing, I use the same thing on a five-weight fly rod with floating line. I attach a seven-foot leader of the Berkeley Vanish that you'd put on a spinning rod. I yeah. just take seven feet of that, attach it to the floating fly line. And then I'm either using jig flies, like a 180th to a 1/100th, that kind of look like a crappie jig with some marabou on it, uh, a lot of flash. Or I'm throwing uh, just the typical clousers, just going to whack them. Uh huh. Um, otherwise, if I'm using conventional tackle, I'm using, you know, small jigs like crappie jigs or fin shad, which are tiny flukes. They're like two and a half, three inches long on sure. a one sixteenth ounce jig head to a one thirty two ounce. Ninety percent of the time, I'm throwing a one sixteenth ounce, and usually under a two two inch peggable bobber. And then I'm just scooting that bobber across the surface, and that's kind of my fish finder. And it keeps you off the bottom from getting totally snagged. Uh-huh. But other than that, throwing Rapalas are actually catching a lot of fish right now in most of the creeks I'm in. But, you know, you're throwing $7 lures. Yeah. Um, so I'm really throwing 
inline spinners, your rooster tails, which are a dollar to two bucks each. Um, then the jig and bobber. Sometimes I'll just cast and retrieve that one sixteenth ounce jig. But I've been using Thump Buddies with a one sixteenth ounce jig head on it. If you glue those on, you won't have to replace the soft body jig until you lose the whole hook. It's huh. made out of like beach ball material and it's got a garlic flavor. It's they're awesome. I actually caught over 2,000 fish on one jig two years ago. Holy crap. <laughs> and it never fell apart. I actually lost it on a tandem rig. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. That's um, incredible. Incredible. Well, yeah, so what I really wanted to focus, though, on today was, you know, obviously sand bass is great for filling up the freezer. It's great for getting kids fishing. It's great for, you know, a day of a lot of action. But if you want to take it a step further and say – and you know, or maybe you're new to fly fishing even, this is a great way to really get out there and get tight on a bunch of fish. And uh, you and I did this, like we said, four or five years ago, but it's it was one of the, probably, I don't think I've ever caught that many fish on a fly rod in a day, that's for sure. Um, you talked about, you know, you use a five weight floating line. And one thing that stuck with me, like you said, forget tippet, because it's a pain in the rear. And probably a lot of the trout purists out there will crucify me for saying this, but I don't even care. When I go up to Broken Bow now, that's what I do is I just tie on that vanish and use that as my tippet. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's a great a great tip. I've caught bass, trout, sand bass, whatever on it. Um, but so talk about as far as the fly fishing, these creeks, sometimes they get narrow. So what are some of the casts that you need to focus on, you know, that aren't, you know, expert level, but that you need to have in your kind of your bag of tricks to, to really be able to make a great presentation in tight quarters? 90% of the time, it's going to be your roll cast. Uh, you're not doing a river run through it, Brad Pitt move, where you're <laughs> lifting 30, 40 feet of line and making a long-distance cast. You don't do that in the creeks. Yeah. Uh, some creeks, you have to have a four weight because they're only four feet wide. Yeah. So you might have to stand in the creek and make longer casts, but 90% of it's going to be roll cast. There's a bunch of videos online on how to do it. And you can go to Bass Pro Shop, Cabela's, um, your fly shops downtown Dallas. Um, you know, there's local fly clubs that can teach you how to do this for free. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so essentially, that's just like a flick of the wrist, basically. You yes, know. you just, you know, you have to have about, you know, 15, 20 feet of line out. And then you just lift your rod up to your ear real slow. And then you push forward with your arm. And then I get crucified for this i guess too <laughs> but i like to flick my wrist down and almost almost like you're whipping it just mask that tip down because that tip of the fly rod is what's throwing all that line in your fly mm -hmm. and if you have a problem with this what i do is if i'm right-handed i'm holding my fly rod i got 20 feet of line out in front of me hold your elbow with your left hand Bring that fly rod up to your ear, cock your wrist back a little bit, push forward, and then slam that wrist down at the very end and mash that rod tip down while holding your elbow. Hmm. And okay. I guarantee you, you will roll cast almost every time perfect. Most yeah. people mess up the whole thing because they're throwing their shoulder like they're throwing a fishing rod. It has nothing to do with your shoulder. It's all on the forearm and the wrist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about fly fishing is folks think you 
got to exert all this force and it's really you know the rod is doing the work if you just have the right technique you know that energy is just coming out of the fly rod itself yeah a lot of times you're you know you're you're on top of these fish anyways you know mm -hmm. they'll they won't spook off if you're six seven feet away usually yeah yeah Unless they've been hammered, you know, there's a lot of activity, then they're going to run away from you. But, you know, normally you're only casting 20, 30 feet at the most anyways. Yeah. Well, and obviously a clouser is a sinking fly. That's what we caught most of those fish on that day. Uh, what was the other one you said you, you uh, catch a lot on right now? Uh, we call them near deers. Uh -huh. And they're on my website. They're just a 180th to a 1-100th jig head. It's got marabou and some chenille on it. And it sits upright in the water if you have it underneath an indicator, like for your high air pressure days or your very low air pressure days are just as bad as high air pressure. But if you slap that on an indicator and put it about eye level with a sandy, which would be, you know, three, four inches off the bottom, because they're always on the bottom, they're never up in the water column in the creeks. And you just, you can keep that fly in that location longer than a clouser. So they might be sitting in a pocket, you know, three, four, five feet long. Like in instance, your spot, your target zone was only four feet long. Sure. They all were. But there was like a hundred fish in that four by three spot. That day they were active, but sometimes they're not. So then you got to slow down your presentation. And that's where that jig fly comes in handy. So you cast that out and basically giving it short little strips, just making it move just a tad and every time you move it it drags that fly up the water column a couple inches and that marabou on the tail just drives them nuts okay right and so what's uh color color patterns on the clouser too the clousers we're using white and chartreuse gray and white pure chartreuse pure white or white and green um when they're going though it doesn't matter what you throw they're going to eat it um out of any one of those colors uh -huh. and then the Years we're throwing uh, olive, you know, sparkly, um, same colors basically. Yeah. Okay. And how fast on a good day would you say the retrieve is? Two foot strips, not two inch strips like a trout fisherman, like a two foot strip, 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 two inch, two foot strips, boom, 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 and you keep doing that. If they're not responding to that, then you start slowing them down and see what they want. And as soon as you get that hit, that should tell you what you need to do on the next and the pre next cast. Right, right. Cool. Well, man, it's uh, it's always a treat talking Sandy's with you. This is your your forte. Um, real quick, as we're wrapping things up, how long will the uh, you know, how long will it go, uh, you know, before the things really start to peter out? Because we're not even in prime time, but that's fast approaching. No, um, such as, I'll give you an example, Relic Creek was, had a population in there the whole winter. Um, but we did have a flood about three weeks, four weeks ago, and we had a pretty good push of fish up. They didn't go where I want them. They're still kind of in four foot of water. You can't really see them. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, well, after this flood we just got, like this morning we had some rain. Uh, that should have pushed another batch up. But I'm going to say it's going to peak out your 300 fish days is going to be at the end of this month. Okay, so into March. Then, beginning of May, sorry, it's going to be done. You'll still catch a few here and there, but they're definitely moving down. Because once that female comes up and spawns, she literally leaves mm -hmm. and goes right back to the lake. 
Right. The male, they stay because they're doing their thing and they got more. Yeah. Okay, so a good two months then. So from now until the, uh, you know, through the end of April. So yeah. Right on. Well, cool. Well, hey, if you want to give us your website, I know you've got a lot of uh, great videos on, on there uh, in addition to, uh, you know, if folks want to book a trip with you. Yeah, my uh, website is TexasOklahomaFishingGuide.com, and my phone number is 469-528-0210. Perfect. Well, hey, brother, congrats on the kiddos, and uh, we'll have to get out there and, and take out the long rod here sometime pretty soon. Yeah, bring your kiddo. We'll do it, brother. All right, man, see you later. Our longtime friend and fishing guide, Carrie Thorne. Uh, always great talking well, any kind of fishing with Kerry, he he truly is a student of his craft, always looking to make himself a better angler and teacher. So I uh, hope you all enjoyed that. I certainly did. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. Go to CostaDelmar.com to see their entire lineup of polarized sunglasses in both uh, glass and plastic frames. I go with the plastic because I always drop my stuff, and uh, that means, well, the glass ones won't last very long for me but that's my preference they've got them both though and uh, you can mix and match the frame the lens and the style any way that you want to thousands literally thousands of different combinations that you can play with and you can find it all right there at costadelmar.com costa sunglasses see what's out there let's take a break up next we're going to check in with a, uh, a larger than life personality to say the least I mean the guy's got almost a million followers his buddies between him and his buddies they've amassed 16 million subscribers to their youtube channel and have over 2.7 billion views of their videos they've got more guinness book of world records than you can shake a stick at and truly are living the dream tyler tony from dude perfect joins us next right here on the lone star outdoor show In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. David Finley and the New Deal, Wild Kids, Wild Nights. I'm Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors show, sponsored by Dallas Safari Club, 
Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Uh, this segment of the broadcast proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. And I'd love for you to get plugged in with this great group of people, uh, a group that I'm proud to be a member of because we're all about three things, conservation, education, and hunter's rights. And if those are three things that you hold near and dear, then check us out at biggame.org for more info. Uh, We'd love to have you. All right. Well, let's go ahead and bring on one of the dudes himself. Uh, Unless you've been living in a box, you probably are aware of Dude Perfect. Even if you don't know, you know, oh, hey, that's Dude Perfect. You've probably, at some point in your life, seen one of their insane trick shots. Whether that's chucking basketballs off of the side of a building and making it into the goal. Or flinging arrows out of a moving vehicle at a still target. Um, You know, whatever the case, they've got some insane stuff. They're stereotype videos. Oh my gosh, if you want to crack up, uh, go watch their fishing or duck hunting stereotype videos. Anyway, they've amassed a following of 16 plus million followers, subscribers to their YouTube channel. Uh, Their views are in the billions. They've all got close to uh, a million social media followers and they've got their own show dude perfect on nickelodeon so uh, without further ado let's talk some archery talk some hunting talk some bass fishing with tyler tony from the dude perfect crew and they were actually nice enough to let me come over to headquarters this week and tape the interview there so i got to take in the entire scene and let me tell you it's like uh it has to be the best job in the world i thought i had a cool job no the things that these guys have at their fingertips, oh my God. It's like a full-time playground for adults. It's something to be jealous of, that is for sure. Uh, anyway, here it is, our visit uh, with Dude Perfect's Tyler Tony. Well, Tyler, thanks for uh, jumping on with me, man. It's no problem. Here. Actually, I'm here with you guys at the uh, Dude Perfect headquarters, so that's a little bit different for me. But you jumped in with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so just sitting here, looking around, it's kind of, I guess, kind of surreal for me, uh, just because... You guys have built a uh, kind of an empire here, uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really look like it's a job. I mean, you guys are having so much fun uh, from everything that I can see. Is that kind of surreal for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we started, I guess it's been almost nine years. None of us ever intended for this to turn into a job of any kind, and so... Uh, we feel very blessed to be where we're at. I mean, we get to wake up, come here every day, and, uh, you know, currently filming season two of our TV show uh-huh. and uh, getting to basically film YouTube videos for a living with your friends is, um, that's a pretty, pretty surreal experience. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, so uh, currently filming for season two. Uh, the first season was on CMT, second season's moving to Nickelodeon, so we're really oh, excited cool. about that. Uh, we'll have uh, a few more households that have the Nickelodeon channels and everything, so uh, we're really looking forward to that. I know um, Nickelodeon is as well, so it's exciting. So it's probably a better fit. So when will that be back on the air? Uh, I think they're talking May right now, May, June. Uh-huh. So I think, yeah, summer release. Uh, first season we did uh, 11 episodes or 13 episodes, and then this season is 22. So wow. a little bit more filming this time around, but we're happy with what we've got so far. And most of the stuff you guys filming 
right here? Uh, a little bit of both. We do some stuff here. We do some stuff out uh, on location. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, it, we, we stay pretty local. Right on. And and all of you guys are from Texas, obviously. Yep. All from all from uh, me, Cody, Garrett are from uh, the Plano area up here in Dallas. And then the twins are originally from Houston. Uh, but now everybody's up here. Uh, all Aggies? All Aggies. Yeah, yeah they all graduated <laughs> uh, 2010. I was class 2011. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I'm a, a Baylor guy, but I will say it wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't break my heart to see you guys go to the SEC and stop whipping our butts every year. Yeah, now uh, we get to go get our butts whipped every year. That was before we were good. Well, <laughs> Only the last half of the season. There. First half of the season we played great. Oh, Second yeah, half. No, you're always ranked in the top ten first half of the season. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Um, okay. Well, what kind of crazy stuff can we expect to see on season two? Uh, doing all kinds of stuff. Preview. We're doing, um, we're doing the world's largest basketball shot. That's a little preview. We've done, uh, all the farthest and longest and all that stuff, but we decided we'd never the done the largest. Energy. So we've got like a, uh, eight foot basketball that we're going to try and, okay. and do the world's largest basketball shot with. And then, um, I think it's just a little bit more in depth look, um, at kind of our personalities and what more daily life is like around here. Uh -huh. uh, just gives people a little bit more background information and look into what that's like. Okay. Well, the YouTube channel has uh, 16 million subscribers, I believe. Yep. Um, and I was just looking on Wikipedia, over 2.7 billion views as of today. It's crazy. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I will say this, though. The ones that have really stood out for me, uh, the uh, fishing stereotypes. Yep. I like the duck hunting stereotype one, and then the shark fishing challenge looked like that was a hoot. So. That was cr uh, the shark fishing video was absolutely insane. We was that uh, at Penns or where did you guys go? So that was uh, West Palm Beach, uh -huh. Florida, okay. and we hooked up with uh, Black Tip H. He's got a fishing channel on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, and he was like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna go do some shark fishing. Uh, if you guys want to come down, I think it'd be a good time." We're like, "Okay, cool, we'll get down there." And we're like, "Where's the boat?" And he's like, "Oh, we don't need a boat. We're fishing from the beach." Yeah. We're like, how many how many sharks are we gonna catch from the beach? Like, maybe we're lucky if we get one. Yeah. And uh, how many did we end up catching? Yeah, like twenty seven sharks I mean, in a twenty four hour period. It looked period. awesome, but tiring. Oh, it was exhausting. Yeah. You got all these people like walking up and down the beach, and I mean, some people are swimming, and you're pulling these five six foot black tip sharks out of the water right next to them, and they're just like, oh my gosh, oh, you yeah. just catch yeah. a shark? <laughs> like, that's the twenty seventh shark we've got. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we went down to. Uh, what we, just Galveston last year, and I took my big shark rig out. I'm going to catch a shark this, this vacation for sure. My wife's looking at me like I'm a lunatic. Like, <laughs> you're going to put that out there with all these people swimming around. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And uh, I eventually, I, uh, I had too many bad stares, I would say. Just people were like, what, this guy's crazy. So, anyway. Yeah, it's interesting the people right. that you run into. We, you'd have some people that walk by and we'd catch one of the sharks and some lady's like, oh, I hope you're going to kill that thing and not put it back in the water. And then the next lady that comes by, she's like, I can't believe you'd catch that harmless poor shark and hook them in the mouth. They got feelings too. Oh, and yeah, I mean, it, you could not please anybody out yeah. there. It was remarkable. Well, so how many of you guys are, are really into hunting and fishing? Uh, so I grew up hunting and fishing. Um, my grand grandpa had a place since I was five years old that I kind of grew up uh, hunting and fishing. I was down in Bosque County, and now we've 
got a place um, out in Palo Pinto County. Um, but recently, uh, really all the guys have kind of got it, got into it a little bit more. We've done some dove hunting trips together and took some of these guys out on their first duck hunt this year. And um, it's just introducing these guys to the outdoors is, is a great experience for me as well. I mean, it's amazing to be able to be there with somebody as they, you know, shoot their first duck or turkey or whatever it is. And so uh, to be able to have the opportunity to do that's pretty cool. No doubt. And now you're a new dad. Yeah, yeah, I got a two-week-old boy at home, Barrett. Right, right, awesome, yeah. I took my four-year-old son on his first duck hunt this year. Nice. He didn't obviously get to hold the gun. Or yeah. Anything, but he got to blow the duck call. He got to see the dog, bring the mallards back, and and now he's like, he, he knows the green-headed one is the mallard. Yeah. Which that's the one daddy likes the most. Yeah. Uh, but he had, a, he had a hoot, and uh, it's something that you're going to be um, – you're gonna enjoy very much. So I got yeah. four years till till I can get to that point, huh? <laughs> well, you know, he didn't like he doesn't like the shotgun blast. Yeah, I'd taken him on a dove hunt, uh, just kind of let him experience that. But he had, you know, he had on those earmuffs. I was the same way. My the first time my dad took me out, he uh, needed to sight in his thirty out six, and so he started shooting, and I was probably five years old and uh i was like i think i'm gonna go sit in the truck and he <laughs> he was a little worried about me at that point yeah, but yeah. uh i think i finally came around so. yeah yeah um well so do you like to hunt or fish more whatever season it pick is your favorite I, child I, I couldn't I, there's no way i could pick i mean yeah. when it gets springtime and we've got a we've got a nice little lake down at our place where you can go catch a bass almost every cast and then turkey season rolls around and it's perfect timing and then got that nice little lull in the summer and dove season's great and that just I, I, there's no way i could pick a favorite well so with you guys filming for season two uh right now are you gonna have is it hard to make time to say I'm going to go turkey hunting or I'm going to go take advantage of the spawn and catch some bass. Uh, we, we honestly, we try and keep our weekends pretty protected. I mean, like I said, for most of us having, you know, some kids or family at home now, uh, weekends are pretty important to us to be able to hang out with them and go to church and things like that. So, uh, we, we definitely still have some time to uh, do that, but you, you certainly try and plan those heavy uh, filming times around hunting season if possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so is, if, is bass fishing your favorite then? Um, as far as like hunting fishing, or fishing? fishing, oh, fishing. Uh, I'm I'm a deep sea fish guy. Right. Yeah. My my cousins down in Louisiana, um, they've taken us out on some pretty unbelievable yellowfin tuna trips and things like that. So it's it's hard to beat that. I've never hooked into a tuna. Red snapper, lots. Um, amberjack. Yep. But never never a tuna or any kind of you know billfish. But yeah, that's definitely on the bucket list. Tuna is awesome. I was going down to uh, Cancun. No, Playa. Uh, that was about six years ago, my wife and a few other couples, and the guys all had a uh, uh, trip booked. Anyway, my appendix ruptured. Oh, so gosh. That's went. bad timing. So I've still never gone on, on a bill fishing trip. Dang. Yeah. Um, what animal are you most proud of as far as animals that you've harvested? I saw on your Instagram, it looks like you took a nice elk this year. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty special. So that was the, uh, the first elk I've ever gotten to harvest. I mean, really, I haven't hunted outside of texas i think that was probably the second time i went on a turkey hunt in missouri with some of the bass pro guys uh-huh. um but that one was really special because my dad was with us and um uh, cody got an elk that week too so nice. um that was the last so who day got, of the hunt whose was bigger uh mine was a little bit bigger than Cody's, but cody got his with his bow so that yeah. was i think he had the uh the more difficult kill uh-huh. uh but he had a perfect shot on his and we both got to take some elk meat home and I've been eating elk chili and backstraps since September. I mean, it's it is so Can't good. I think it's the best protein on the planet. I, I completely agree with that. I've statement. taken one elk uh, 
in New Mexico with nice. Him. Yeah, it's, it's but it gets in your blood. I can't imagine not going every year. Oh yeah, so. no, I'm I'm definitely hooked now. Even if it's just for the elk chili every year. Yeah, and where were you, where was that? Uh, we were just north of Steamboat in okay. Colorado. Yeah, right on. I struck out in Colorado this year. So. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, happens. Um, what trick shot are you most proud of? Oh, that's tough. Well, there's a, uh, you know, one there's that, thousands of them. So. Yeah, one that stands out to me is is actually one of the first brand deals we did a long time ago. Uh, it was for uh, GMC, really one of the first companies to approach us at that time. So we were obviously a little bit nervous going out there, and that's kind of the first time. Okay, you know, we got two days. You got to make all these shots and make it happen. And so, first one we start out with is a shot out of an airplane, and uh, we're coming around for the first pass, and they wanted like you know their truck set up in the shot. So from up in the air, it looks like the basketball goal and the truck are nearly touching and I'm up there you know at 100 feet getting ready to drop this basketball and so get up there drop the first one bulk sails like 100 yards past the goal and everybody's like oh my <laughs> gosh this is a, we're gonna be here for all two days trying to make this one shot and all I could picture was dropping that ball and it just going through the windshield on that truck and I think that was one of three trucks they had in the world at that time um, and so second pass we come around and I'm like I just got to drop it earlier I just got to commit drop the ball we go past the goal before I can really see what happens. All of a sudden, I just hear on the on the radio, just <laughs> I'm like, "What did, did I did I hit the truck? Did I did I make it?" And they're like, "Oh my gosh, you made it!" And apparently, the crew's reaction behind us—it was filming—it was even better than ours. But that one stands out to me probably the most. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, you know, you guys have have uh, done a lot of shooting, both with uh, firearms and archery. A yep. lot of trick shots involved on that front. And on the archery side of things, you know, we've got a big grand opening coming up at Cinnamon Creek Ranch. Um, they have a great new archery facility. I went out there the other day, and uh, you can shoot anywhere from 10 yards to 50 yards in this in this new indoor facility. And I believe they're going to have the state championship there. It's right around the corner. Uh, but that grand opening is going to be on March 18th, Saturday. You guys are going to be out there. Yes, we will. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. I know we were we were out there probably two months ago uh, getting our bows all set up and everything, and uh, they were kind of giving us the tour of the new facility, and it looks awesome out there. Yeah. So I can't wait to see it all finished. It's yeah, going to no, be really cool. They're great. They, they set up all my bows, have for a long time. And now, did you let them do your elk as far as the processing goes? Uh, no, the guides that we were with up in Colorado, they had they had their guys that took care of it Next for time, us. So they do. yeah, I mean they're we yeah we did oh, we did eat yeah. their summer sausage and jerky and we, they let us take some of that home. It is yeah. incredible. Meat they do balls, a great job. Meatloaf, everything. Yeah, I mean, um, I take the I get the meatballs now and make sliders with. Them. Oh, nice. Awesome. Um, okay, so that's on the 18th. You guys will be out there, um, and if folks want to find out more info, they can go to cinnamoncreekranch.com. Uh, so I've got a, uh, I've got a Cinnamon Creek Ranch cap somewhere. I don't know where I said it. And then a uh, $50 gift card, which we're going to give away. I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. So, but you can tell me the answer off the air. Okay. But we're going to have people text in um, what they think your biggest, your personal best largemouth. That is assuming you know what your biggest best No, I, I got a number. Okay. All okay. right. So folks can text in. Whoever gets the closest, uh, they'll win the $50 gift card to Cinnamon Creek Ranch and a Cinnamon Creek Ranch cap. Awesome. So cool. Um, well, all right. Why don't you give us you got all y'all's info. I know. I mean, your personal Instagram, you've got like almost a million followers. Yeah, I got quite a few. I don't know what they like, but they keep coming <laughs> back. So yeah. and I'll then keep posting. Obviously, your the Dude Perfect uh, YouTube channel, uh, 16 million followers. Yep. Um, and now, does everyone have their own personal 
Yeah, everybody's got their own personal. Um, it's more their family-oriented uh-huh. stuff okay. and our personal interests and everything like that. Yeah. But, yeah, we've got all of our social handles are just Dude Perfect on everything. Right on, right on. Well, cool. And season two of Dude Perfect will be coming out on Nickelodeon uh, probably sometime this Sometime spring. in May, yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. you coming out. Likewise, brother. All right, so there you have it, our visit to Dude Perfect Headquarters. And, y'all, I'm not kidding. Taking the tour of that place, oh, my God. They've got they've got a hockey rink, indoor soccer, full-court basketball goals uh, with hardwood floor. I mean, putting green, gym. Really, the gym's probably not that big of a deal. But uh, <laughs> virtual hunting and golf games, pool, foosball, I don't know how many big screen TVs and uh, just, oh, they play indoor wiffle ball, have a foul pole and everything. It's insane. Seriously, it's dude perfect. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Who wouldn't want that job? Uh, You know, grown men acting like we did when we were in sixth grade and getting paid to do it. It's awesome. Uh, Okay. Well, I think I forgot to give the phone number. If y'all want to text in to try to win that Cinnamon Creek gift card and hat, you can guess Tyler's personal best largemouth and text in what you think it is to 214-289-7807. The person that gets the closest will win the $50 gift card and cap to Cinnamon Creek Ranch. Uh, that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer back to buck forage oats. Check them out at senderoc.com for all your planting needs. Well, let's take a break. Up next, we're talking all things turkey. The South Zone opens next week, and we've got our Texas Parks and Wildlife turkey program leader, Jason Harden, makes his return to the show, and we'll leave no stone unturned. It's all things turkey coming at you next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You may want this battle, baby. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. 
Hey everybody, this is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you listen to my good buddy Cable Smith with the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Time for coffee because the sun will be coming up soon. And we've got to get a move on before these birds start singing their tune. If you're low on cash, don't speak it. If your job Cable is Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little help from our friend there, Justin Bowerman. Leave it at the front gates, the name of that one. Uh, one of my favorite tunes there. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to this morning's presentation. Uh, of course, thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We are all set to talk some spring gobblers as the South Zone opens up next weekend. Can you all believe that? And for everyone tuning in outside of Texas, uh, imagine... Y'all seasons will get amped up here very soon. Um, I know one of my buddies from Missouri was saying they don't start till May. Um, so I guess the farther south you are, obviously, the earlier the season is going to kick off because uh, the earlier the turkeys will begin their breeding. So we're going to get into all that good stuff here in just a second with our Texas Parks and Wildlife turkey program leader and wildlife biologist Jason Harden. But before we do that, this segment of the show is brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. So whether you're looking for a thermal or night vision optic, they've got you covered. You can find their entire catalog, including the new Pulsar Trail, which has an internal DVR recorder. Uh, That's a cool feature right there. Something new for thermal scopes anyway. Uh, And you can find it all right there at PulsarNV.com. And if you tell them I sent you, Here's the cool thing. You'll save 20% off your entire order. Uh, So cool stuff there from Pulsar. Moving on, though, uh, let's bring on our next guest, making his return to the show, and always a pleasure each and every time. Jason Harden, thanks for being here, brother. Good to be back, Cable. It's our pleasure. Uh, Man, it's about this time that we get to visit every spring, and that means turkey season is upon us. Uh, But before we get into... uh, you know, what those those gobblers are doing out there on the landscape. Uh, tell us what you've been up to. I, I, you told me off there you've been, you know, just running and gunning, gunning, traveling a lot here recently. Yeah, it's a busy time of year for us in the turkey world. Um, it's the main time of year. We do a lot of our trapping efforts, restoration efforts. So uh, it's a busy time for research and also for our restoration. We've released close to 9,500 birds in East Texas on a restoration project. Um, birds come in from Iowa, West Virginia, Missouri to try to rebuild those eastern turkey populations across their historic range. Mm-hmm. And then we have several turkey projects in the Rio Grande range that we're working on. So been running the gun and catching birds. Um, so we're doing pretty good there. One of our big projects is a banding study. Huh. We're banding turkeys all over the Rio Grande range, hoping to get a little better estimate on uh, what our actual harvest rates are here in texas okay interesting yeah i guess there's not any data out there on that really there's some here and there from the hill country and the rolling plains but we'd like to go eco region by eco region and see just how many or what percentage of our eastern or our real grand turkey population is being harvested annually yeah so it's a, it's a big project we'll do it over the next few years and see how that changes from year to year and from eco region to eco region well, so I guess as a hunter, you know, I've got, well, I could kill up to four Rios every year, mm-hmm. uh, but 
I don't have to report that to you guys. So how do you guys keep tabs on that? Or is there something hunters can do to help you with this uh, research? Sure. It's, it's, it's twofold. So with their banding study, um, if a hunter is fortunate to get a bird and it's banded, they'll have our phone number on there. They can call, report the band number. We can go back and look at our records, see when that bird was banded, kind of get a, an idea of the age of that bird, and compare that to birds that aren't reported to get an overall harvest rate. <clears throat> so that's one way we're working on that. Well, I won't be able to help you there because I've uh, I've seen literally thousands and thousands of ducks get killed, and never one of them's had a damn band on it. So <laughs> I'm not well, your guy. <laughs> definitely a small percentage of the birds uh, are uh, actually banded that we have on the landscape. But yeah. Um, and another way is our small game harvest survey. So about twenty thousand of our hunters every year get a survey, mm-hmm. and um, they report what they harvested the previous season. So, uh, again, it's a small percentage of folks that are actually getting that, but that's another way we keep tabs on our, on our Rio Grande turkey population. Okay. And then finally, we have our uh, My Hunt Harvest app. So it's a way for hunters to voluntarily report their Rio Grande turkey. It is mandatory for eastern, mm-hmm. eastern turkeys, but uh, we'd love to get voluntary information. Just, again, another tool that we're using to try to keep track of our population, harvest rates, and that sort of thing. Yeah. It also has some helpful um functionality there for for hunters to keep track of what they've harvested and also find their local biologist local game warden wildlife engineers that sort of thing uh-huh okay yeah i didn't get the uh, survey this year i did get the uh i did just fill out my public uh public land hunting deal though so uh folks can probably be expecting those in the mail as well here uh, very sure. soon if they haven't already um which is great because that you know that tells you guys uh, how much folks are using public hunting opportunity in Texas. So, yeah, uh, yep. also very important. So, okay, you said one bird limit for easterns. Obviously, that's been I mean that's been the uh, the status quo for some time, and we used to have to take them to check stations. That's no longer relevant, right? It's all on the uh, right. My Hunt app. It's all on the My Hunt Harvest app, which is for Android, or uh, you can get it off Google Play or or. Uh, the uh, the app store <clears throat> you can also go on our website just tpwd.texas.gov forward slash turkey and it'll take you to the turkey page and report your bird there mm-hmm. um hunters will get a confirmation number and then they they can save that number and and if they do get uh get checked by a game warden they can provide them with that number and, and they're good to go so trying to be a little more convenient mm-hmm. um there's still some folks out there that don't use apps and don't use the web so they can always reach out to a kid, a family member, a friend, and have them report the bird for them. Sure. As long as they have their confirmation number, they're good. Okay. Uh, well, you said 95 birds. That's how many you guys have uh, relocated here recently. And this has been, you know, I mean, an ongoing project. We're, I think this is our seventh year, uh, you know, having the show on the air. And you all been working on this project the entire time. We talk about it every spring. Yeah. Uh just this year, we moved 95 to 100. So oh, okay. right around that range, just one restoration site. Uh-huh. So over over the years, um, just in you know since 2014, we've probably moved uh, close to 600 birds. Uh-huh. So since 2014, just in the Eastern Turkey Restoration Project, if you look across the history of restoration of turkeys, you're probably looking at close to 40,000 birds that have been moved all over Texas. Hmm. There was a time period when 
you know, we've always had Rios, but there was a time period we probably only had about 100,000 uh, Rios in Texas. We're up to about 600,000 birds today. Hmm. So it's been a huge success, and people should take advantage of it to get the opportunity. Yeah, no no doubt about that. Okay, and so, well, that's great. So 95 to 100 birds uh, released here recently. And yep. we've, over, you know, the last couple of years, we've seen counties, you know, completely close the eastern season. So sure. it's always one of those things where it's like, man, these birds are real finicky, and I don't know why do they why do they seem to have such a hard time, uh, you know, really latching on and establishing a foothold in what was traditionally, you know, their native habitat. Sure. So we've been trying to do restoration in East Texas since the 1930s and 40s. Early on, we tried Rio Grande's. Uh, they just didn't do well in the higher rainfall zone of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried pin race turkeys, which obviously didn't work but it was something that was done <laughs> nationwide uh, some folks still try to help us out with that today but it, it's really more of a negative than any, any kind of positive uh-huh. so we really discourage putting pen raised birds out there um around the 1980s we started doing what we call our block stocking era we'd release 15 to 20 birds at a site maybe five or ten sites across the county and we weren't as concerned about habitat we really thought that just put them out there they'll make it work well they didn't uh, they established in some areas, in some areas they didn't, where the habitat just wasn't well taken care of. Hmm. So today, based on quite a bit of research, we're just flooding local areas with birds. So where we did 15 to 20 historically and maybe marginal habitat, we're putting up to 80 birds in a single site, but it has to be really high-quality habitat, 10,000 contiguous acres of well-managed turkey habitat. Hmm. And that's so we can get those birds over that hump. So if we put 80 birds out there, if we lose half of those in the first year or two, we still have 40-plus birds out there to go out, reproduce, and establish that population. Yeah. So yeah. good numbers, good habitat, large areas. And hopefully over time, that 10,000-plus acre area can serve as the source. Birds are being produced there. They can distribute across the landscape over time and right. start to colonize new areas. Okay. Very cool, very cool. Well, that's good insight there, just uh, kind of, uh, you know, how you guys make those decisions, um, which I find very interesting. Um, you know, we've had pretty good recruitment uh, as far as our Rios are concerned over Absolutely. the past two or three springs. We've had wet springs. Uh, yep. We've had the rainfall. And I know last spring we talked about, man, there's a lot of jakes that are going to be out there. Well, uh, it seems like this year, you know, some of those jakes, we should be looking at more, you know, two- and three-year-old toms that are, uh, you know, full strutters now. Absolutely. There should be a ton of two-year-old birds out there. Um, last year, for me personally, going out, uh, there were a lot of juvenile hens out there as well. And the juvenile hens are not as apt to go out and and establish a nest. So they can be a distraction for those mature gobblers. And that's some of, was some of my experience last year. I had a tough time early on in the season getting a mature bird to pay attention to me. Um, so just staying after it, hunting through midday, because you can see a little bit of that again this year. There's going to be a lot of juvenile hens out there, still a lot of jakes. But with that many two-year-old birds, it should be really good hunting this year. No doubt. Exciting stuff. I'll be down there uh, next weekend hunting in uh, Junction for the South Zone opener. Uh, we do need to take a quick break, though. Y'all don't go anywhere because when we come back, uh, Jason will give us his prediction on which weekend of the season will be the absolute peak for turkey reproduction and breeding. 
Uh, so most active time in both the north and south zones. And uh, and then what about if you've got that gobbler hung up at 80 yards? You can't get him to finish. Jason's also a longtime turkey hunter. We'll pick his brain on that scenario as well. So you'll want to stick around for that. Um, and by the way, that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of. Say you want your own place to go hunt turkeys. Well, let Lone Star Ag Credit make that your reality. Whether you want land for ag, for ranching, for hunting and recreation, or just a place to retire to out in the country. Well, Lone Star Ag Credit's been doing this for 100 years, and they'd be happy to help you as well. Visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to finance your piece of Texas today. Y'all don't go anywhere. We'll keep talking turkeys after the break with Texas Parks and Wildlife Jason Harden right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. So you know I love my guns, and one of my favorite hobbies is target shooting. Grant Stinchfield here. Recently, I got to experience what it's like to shoot at the Rockwall Gun Club. It's an amazing place, sitting on 70 acres, but what makes the Rockwall Gun Club so special is not just its first-class state-of-the-art facilities. Yes, it even has a 500-yard rifle range where your results show up on an iPad, but for me, it's the private atmosphere. It's like a country club for gun owners, 100% members only. And what's so cool is that many of the members are law enforcement officers, so it's common to be shooting shooting next to the pros. The Rockwall Gun Club has 19 100-yard rifle stations, 19 25-yard pistol stations, and if archery is your thing, there's even a range for bow hunters. Now is the time to act. Become a founding member like me. The incentives they're offering are too good to pass up. The Rockwall Gun Club offers family and corporate memberships. Visit rockwallgunclub.com to set up a tour and see firsthand what it's like to be part of a private shooting experience. Visit rockwallgunclub.com. That's rockwallgunclub.com. Tell them Grant Stinchfield sent you. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Long gone like blue bonnets in the spring We're only here for a little while It's beautiful and bittersweet That is the Honky Tonk Kid Blue Bonnets in the Spring Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show Presented by Dallas Safari Club I'm Cable Smith It is that time of the year The Blue Bonnets are starting to pop up Which uh, that always gets my blood flowing not only is it beautiful, but that means those gobblers are going to be strutting, and the Sandys, Crappie, and Largemouth will all be doing their thing as well as far as the spring spawn goes. Uh, so great time to be alive in the great outdoors, and actually we are talking turkeys here this morning with Texas Parks and Wildlife Turkey Program Leader Jason Harden. But before we jump back into it with Jason, this segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas, now with a second location and old San Antonio, Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for six, seven years now. They'll do the same for you. They offer great turnaround time while still delivering exceptional quality work. So for your next trophy, visit GR8Mounts.com. That's GR8Mounts.com. Uh, okay, Jason, well, before the break, uh, we discussed relocation history 
and management of not only our eastern turkeys, but also our Rios as well. And now we have a statewide population of, uh, like you said, over 600,000 Rio Grande turkeys. So impressive stuff there and a direct result from the conservation efforts of, of Texas Parks and Wildlife and landowners and hunters alike. Um, let's talk about those Rios, though, because we've got the uh, the South Zone opening up next weekend. I'll be down in Junction, Texas, taking advantage of that. And then the North Zone will subsequently open up two weekends later on April 1st. Each one will run for six weeks. And Jason, this is always one of my favorite questions to ask you each and every spring. Uh, give us your prediction on you know, when you think the peak of the breeding season will occur within each zone because you know we had that uh, unseasonably warm winter and I imagine that's going to take a profound effect on what those gobblers are going to be doing and uh, what that means for folks trying to put their tag on a mature tom. Sure. I think the peak is probably going to be opening day of season. So you're going to, you're going to see, and by that, I mean, the hens are going to be very receptive. Um, I think there is a risk that on the opening day of season, you're going to see a lot of hemmed up gobblers. Uh Um, Just a lot of times our actual nest initiation. So that's when those hens are going out, they start laying those eggs and then start incubating those eggs. It's going to be around the first of the season on on an average year. Well, this isn't an average year. Those hens are in great shape. Uh, the gobblers have been strutting for weeks already, and the hens are going to start becoming perceptive any day now. So uh, that could make it tough early in the season. I think mid-season and late season could be a lot better. You're going to have a lot more hens sitting on the nest, mm-hmm. and it's going to provide a lot more um, lonely males for hunters to, to call in. Okay. That's my prediction. Yeah. Okay. They are birds, and they'll they'll make their own mind up on how they want to behave. But that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Talk about what turkeys do during the day. Here, you know, what sure. the, the average, you know, day in the life of a Rio Grande turkey. Uh, because I've seen it both ways. I've seen it where you can pattern them to a T, but then yeah. once things green up really good and the grasshoppers, they make up a vast uh, portion of a turkey's diet. So if you've got them on your place, say you're not hunting a feeder, but that's an indicator. You know, oh, well, we know we've got turkeys on camera. It's going to be good. And then, boom, they're just gone. So Sure. And so a day in the life of turkey would also depend on the season sure. we're talking about. So if you're looking at fall and winter, those birds can be concentrated around major riparian areas, big, large, historic roof sites. That's where those birds are going to be every evening and huge groups. It may be 30 to 50 birds. It could be several hundred birds at that area. Uh, they're going to roost there in the evenings. They're going to fly down. They're going to separate themselves um, into their jakes and hens, and then the mature gobblers. They'll kind of go their separate ways, meet back up that evening mm-hmm. to roost. Um, later in the year, coming in spring, like we're getting now, you start seeing those historic winter roost sites with large congregations begin to break up, and these birds start distributing themselves across the landscape. A little further, a little further each day, they're going to start using those more satellite roosts, and the vegetation's out there, so as far as a need or a drive to go to those um, baited areas, it's going to be less important for them. That's something we see every day um, over the last few weeks with our trapping project. We're putting bait out, we're trying to trap these birds, and we're seeing them every day uh, less apt to actually come in and and, uh, feed on bait. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, people that aren't seeing birds most of the year, are going to start seeing them right about now. They're going to see those birds start turning back up, 
which provides great opportunity for more people to actually go out and hunt. Sure. But sure. once they once they get distributed, in the and the hens are going to do more of that than the gobblers. So once they become distributed, you'll start seeing a regular pattern. The birds are going to use the same areas every day. Um, you can actually, on some of our GPS work, you'll see a, almost a loop. They follow that same pattern unless something happens to them. If a hunter bumps them yeah. a couple of times or a predator bumps them, you know, they may change that pattern. But they usually stick to a same pattern. Now, when, once those hens are bred, um, some of them will stay close. Some of them may go 20, 30 miles from where they're bred to actually where they nest. Hmm. So there can be some pretty significant movements there. Wow, 20 or 30, yeah, that's yep. that's covering some especially ground. With our, especially with our Rios. Yeah. Um, and then juvenile birds as well. We'll see 10 to 15 mile movements, fairly common. Huh. So, um, yeah. But generally, um, once that hen decides she's going to start laying eggs, she'll go lay an egg a day at the nest. She's out of there within an hour. Moving around, come back the next day, lay an egg, leave. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on where you're at in the season, what the live cycle, and what that hen's up to. Is she breeding or is she reproducing? What's she doing? Yeah. Eventually, she's going to sit on that nest. Uh, once she lays that last egg, she's going to sit on it until the nest is destroyed or she's successful. If she's successful, she's going to sit on that nest for 28 days. Every other night for the rest of her life, um, outside the nesting period, she's spending the night in the tree. But during that nesting period, she's on the ground night after night after night. Mm-hmm. So if she laid 12 eggs, that first egg, from the time she laid it until the time those eggs hatch is about 40 days. Yeah. Very long period for an egg just to lay on the ground. Mm-hmm. So a lot of depredation occurs. If she is successful, the eggs hatch within 24 hours. All those poles have hatched at the same time because she started incubating them at the same time. They start moving across the landscape. Little short movements right, right at the beginning getting larger and larger each day as those girls, as those uh, poles get more mobile. And then after two weeks, they'll start roosting in trees if we're lucky enough to get them that far. And then by four weeks, they're almost assured to be recruited into the population. Um, but with the gobblers, um, they're going to have a much smaller range, and they're going to do the same thing day after day after day unless they're bumped or a hen shows up and pulls them out a different direction. They're going to stick with those hens where the hens go. Uh, once they do find one that's receptive. Yeah. Well, and I was, here's one example. So I guide turkey hunts every spring. Uh, and, you know, we usually are pretty successful. So me and a buddy booked some hunts in, uh, at his place in Seymour, and he had, I'm um, Jason, probably 40 to 50 turkeys, probably 10 strutters, just making this big loop on his 800 acres, you know, just, <laughs> but they weren't roosting on it, but they were just coming because, you know, he had corn feeders going. So we're like, oh, we can work with that. We're not going to, sit at the corn feeders but we know they're going to be on the property and we're going to we're going to get into them no we never saw a gobbler the entire time because wow. i guess because of the grasshoppers and maybe because the, it wasn't opening weekend i guess the hens had the hens had changed their behavior and i guess the gobblers yep. had moved on and you know it was uh it was shocking but i always go yep. back to that as saying uh they do definitely change their patterns in the springtime sure. and then and then last year you had so many juvenile hens out there that were never going to nest or some of them nest and they're unsuccessful and they're they're just out there roaming around. It's really tough to compete with a hen that's willing to lead a gobbler on. Hmm. So, uh, you know, April, the first weekend of season last year, you'd see all these gobblers with hens. You'd barely hear a bird gobble after they the roost. They would not pay attention to you. They had no interest. So it just and there are so many jakes out there. You get a jake to pay attention to you, but for us that are trying to get a mature bird, it got pretty tough early in the season. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, uh, let me ask you one other thing about their behavior as far as roosting. Like you said, they use these, you know, historical roost sites in large numbers uh, throughout much of the year. And then springtime, uh, I'm always looking for, you know, basically something over overhanging water, dead oak trees, something mm-hmm. to that effect. But I've been walking through the woods, uh, you know, when it's still dark and bump turkeys out of a place where I was like, dang, there shouldn't have been a turkey there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's kind of just, a, is it just an oppor- opportunistic thing? It's like, hey, this is where we sure. are tonight when the party ends. This is where we're roosting or what? Absolutely. So those small streams and creeks where uh, uh, you don't see the birds much during the during the fall and winter, they're going to start using those areas more. So those little fingering uh, rock area areas that go out across the landscape, they'll go um, find a single tree that's out there and they'll roost in it. We've seen birds and big mesquites and different things. Uh, but yeah, a lot of times once they start dispersing, they'll find themselves, you know, just wherever they're at in this dark, it's time to find a tree to get in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, that does occur. Um, it's a lot of times they're outside their home range and they're establishing either a new home range or they're transitioning to a different, uh, um, life need, you know, just nesting or wherever that might be. So, uh, yeah, sometimes they catch themselves in a bad place. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: As a seasoned turkey hunter and someone whose you know uh, life's work is revolves around uh, turkeys with Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, what are you going to say to a hung-up gobbler? You know, what what type of calls are relevant? Whether it's a box or a diaphragm or a slate or whatever. But uh, you've got this bird; he's hung up at let's just say 80 yards. He's not coming any closer. How do you change your strategy as far as talking to him? I, I mean, there's so many different things you can do, and I'm I'm certainly uh, I've never claimed to be an, an expert uh, caller or or someone to to make that happen. But if I have to, uh, if I if he can't see me, and I'm able to start walking away, calling lightly um, to make him think that hen is giving up on him, that might be something that I would try. Mm-hmm. Um, if that doesn't work, get aggressive. Or if I have a gobble call, try to uh, try to gobble to him, make him think there is some competition in there. So I'm sure there's a there are a lot of different strategies out there that have worked and not worked for a lot of different folks, a lot of turkey hunters. But uh, um, if I've got one out there, I'm going to do everything I can to to make him break. Sure, sure. And try to stay patient enough to not make a poor shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, to me it's the same thing, like that thing you said, just walking away, softly calling to him, making you think you're you're quitting on him. Uh, that is something that's that will work in the elk woods as you know as well. Uh, yeah, it's cool because to me, uh, I always say an elk's just a seven hundred pound turkey during the rut. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, if you got if you have a partner out there with you, it makes it a lot easier too. So yeah, leave leave the guy with the gun there and have somebody walk away calling. So mm-hmm. sometimes when you're by yourself, it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. Well, good stuff as always, Jason. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for all you guys do uh, over at Texas Parks and Wildlife and taking care of our turkeys and. Uh, I think it's going to be a good season. Yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. Well, right on, man. Well, thanks again. Take care. Thanks, Cable. Have a good one. So there you have it. Uh, always a treat visiting with our Texas Parks and Wildlife turkey program leader, avid hunter and outdoorsman and conservationist, Jason Harden. Uh, great stuff there. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by IOTA Outdoors, based in College Station, Texas. IOTA continues to inspire innovation in the shooting and hunting community. They've got a full lineup of scopes and mounts. And then also, 
The new rifle stocks like the Crux, which is perfect for the backcountry hunter, weighing in at only 27 ounces. You can find the Crux rifle stock in their full lineup of shooting accessories by visiting iotaoutdoors.com. Okay, man, just looking at the clock here, that sucks. We got to go. <laughs> We're out of time. It sure does fly when you're having fun. Hope you all enjoyed today's broadcast. It was a treat being here with you. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to our guests, of course, Jason Harden, uh, Tyler Tony from Dude Perfect, and longtime fishing guy, Kerry Thorne. We'll do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of today's broadcast. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Cowboys, cowgirls too. Green Hall and Billy Bob's, Tex-Mex and Barbecue, Robert Earl, Gary P, you can hear some Willie down on 6th Street, nowhere